0: Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast, souping up the Homo sapien. Hello and welcome to Level Up Human, the show that looks at the human race and tries to figure out how to make it better. We're taking suggestions from our panel, from our audience here at St Andrews Explorathon, and from the natural world to try and figure out exactly what the next stage in our human evolution should be. We're putting together a design spec. A to do list for our, our kind. I'm your host, Simon Watson. and today I'm joined by three pimped primates in the form of our guests. Tonight's judge deciding what is worth incorporating into the species, Human 2.0, on my you left is Jay Lafferty. Yay. Jay, what kind of ideas would you like to see now?
3: What kind of ideas? Oh, I don't know. Some what would things- benefit
0: you personally, I suppose?
3: What would benefit me uh, personally would be, oh, something so that you could be in two places at one time. Because quite often I, uh, I am asked to do lots of things that sound great and exciting, but I have to choose between one of them. Um, and so it would be good if I could be in two places at one time. That would be exciting. Do
0: you think that then when you did that, each of your two people would be wishing that they could be in two places at one time? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and there would just be an infinite amount of J's. That's terrifying.
0: But no, well, the, the fact that you find it terrifying when <laughs> you, you are you, that yeah, actually yeah, says I, something I, doesn't I've, it? I, I know me. Oh, well, that must You should oh, be dear. terrified. <laughs> I'd be quite happy having my own army of me. That'd be quite cool, actually. Well, pitching ideas to see what will go forward on my immediate right, we've got Suhili. Uh, So you are a Kiwi in the UK, and you're interested in birds, which is kind of right for a Kiwi, you know? Yeah. Uh, You've got, um, you're looking at cognition in animals, and you're currently working on the abilities of hummingbirds. Are hummingbirds that smart?
1: Hummingbirds are pretty smart. They have a brain about the size of a grain of rice and they can learn when flowers have got, um, when they're going to have their sucrose, the, the nectar come back into them. They remember where they are. And, nice. and the ones I work on migrate from Northern Mexico to Canada and they can do that and get back to the same place every year. I think that's not bad. Geez. For a very small brain. Well, if you're not pitching
0: a hummingbird's ability for timing, that be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like a comic would love it for a star, wouldn't Absolutely. they? You know, hummingbird timing. Hummingbird timing. <laughs> and just being that damn cute. Perfect. <laughs> and we're also joined by Aaron Robbins. <laughs> and Aaron, it says here you're doing cross-cultural research. What does that actually mean for cross-cultural research?
4: Well, that means I'm very lucky to travel all around the world, looking at how children and adults uh, develop social cognition, and it's a really excellent excuse to go to work on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard, hard work. I suffer greatly,
0: guys. How did you? How did you swing that? <laughs> Actually,
4: <let me> <laughs> uh, like most things, it was very opportunistic. Um, I was. Uh, I I just actually made friends with people who had interesting questions, and uh, we ended up collaborating. And so now I've been able to go to uh, Vanuatu, Samoa, Costa Rica, Honduras, China, Japan, um, you name it, I might have been there. And if any of you would like to do some cross-cultural research, come see me after the show.
0: Perfect. And you're doing this in terms of it's for child psychology and development and things. So uh, you can see this is the expertise that we have here. They will have ideas, but we're also taking ideas from our wonderful audience here at the Bar Theatre in St. Andrews. Well, before we delve into the future, our panel have brought along some news stories to get us warmed up and to show you what's happening right now. So why don't we start with you, Jay? What is your news story? What have you brought Uh, with you? So
3: my news story was I have been reading about internal Fitbits. So give me a cheer if you have a Fitbit or a an Apple Watch, anything that, yeah, few yes. people have them, yeah. So uh, there's new technology coming out that uh, would mean that you can get a Fitbit that is this, this dust size and they implant <coughs> it into your brain and it internally monitors all of everything, not just fitness, but everything, medical, all these sorts of things. And then, you, yeah, and it feeds it back to a computer and you can keep a, a very, very close eye on everything that is going on with you and your body.
1: Can I just ask, I thought that's what your brain did. Fair point.
3: Yeah, well, why do we need Fitbits then? I don't know. It's, it's <laughs>
0: <laughs> why do we need Fitbits? Like, actually, as you, you two both do things in psychology, right? So why do we actually need to monitor ourselves? Whose desperate approval are we seeking?
1: Do I have one? And the reason I have one is because I'm an academic and I do a lot of this, which is for (laughs) those people who aren't that's right. No, sitting down. So it kind of is a way of making me get up out of my chair and walk around it a few times before I sit back down again. I don't exercise very much, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. so what, not exercising enough. I don't need to be monitored to hate myself. I need to <laughs> hate yeah.
0: myself. Yeah, but you. it
3: monitors you yeah. in real time. So also I was thinking- I hate
0: myself in real time. <laughs> yeah,
3: but I was thinking, because I bought my husband a, a Fitbit, or it was a kind of cheap version of a Fitbit. And um, he figured out that if he just sat and did this, the size that it would be as if he'd walked somewhere, and uh, yeah, and so. But if he had an internal one that I could download the data from, I would know if he lied about going for a walk or lied about not eating the, oh, all of the bacon. And I'm always lying to myself, which is why I need
4: one of these. I'm incredibly self-deluded about how much activity I have, so I'll I'll walk from my desk to uh, the filing cabinet. I'm like oh, yeah, burned 800 calories doing that. And uh, it's just not accurate. So I think it helps me with
0: well, that. You, you raised the thing which I find terrifying, and that is that somebody else monitoring you. Now, yeah. much as I can see why you might want to monitor your husband, does he want you to monitor him? No, of course he doesn't want me to monitor him. Do you want to have a thing which other people could, like imagine if your brain hit Fitbit was hacked Yes. like Is this the ultimate surveillance tool? And we're just it like could be.
3: It away? I mean, it's, it probably is. I, I personally wouldn't wear one or get one implanted, but I thought it was quite interesting that... Uh, and it showed you a little picture of it under lots and lots of magnifying glasses. And it is. It's, a ti- it's tiny, tiny, dust-sized.
0: Before we move on, by whipping the audience, whip if you would like to have this technology. Okay. <laughs> and whip if you're appropriately paranoid.
3: So I don't think it's going to do well in the market.
0: (laughs) Not not in St. Andrews anyway.
3: Cool. What's your story, Erin? So this is inspired by the fact that for years
4: now, my best friend has just been giving me terrible fashion advice. And I was very excited to learn. um, She's colorblind. I should set the stage for this. Um, I was very excited to learn about a pair of spectacles that helps people who are colorblind finally see color. It's a great piece of technology. Essentially, what it's doing uh, when you see the world, you have cones that uh, are allowing you to pick up red, green, and uh, blue. And um, there's some overlap for people who are colorblind. And so these glasses basically force um, the categories and they won't let you absorb um, the the overlap so you see distinct colors. And it was developed um, after a surgeon who was colorblind went out onto a soccer field and commented that he could finally see the orange of the cones on the field, which I think uh, raises a really interesting question of why a surgeon was doing his operations on a soccer field. That's that's <laughs> probably the more dangerous point, so.
0: I'm just thinking, actually, you're lucky that, you know, all of our bloody red-pink bits are more or less different hues of pink. Because if you're going to be red-green colorblind, and you had any bits that are mismatching. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, yeah, and. Hi, you can't be colorblind if you're a pilot, and you can if you're a surgeon. Is that right?
4: I, I, I'm, that is the impression I was left with, but I actually find that quite hard to believe. I don't know. Um, so, Actually, I don't, I don't think it matters though. If you're red-green colorblind, everything's mushy. You're just seeing gradients yeah. of texture. It's probably more informative in some way than the actual color of the organ. The, the color of the organ might tell you if your patient is more or less oxygenated and you should know if you're operating on them if they're alive or dead.
0: So I think <laughs> that
1: problem <laughs> solves itself.
0: That's lesson number one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Cool. What about you, see. Let's
1: grab your eyes. Uh, well, I, I saw this um, uh, thing that actually I think tells us a little bit more about ourselves. And, um, uh, and in fact, uh, today I went to a funeral, and, and, and so this piece of research really uh, resonated even more. And it's that apparently, when we go to sad movies or we watch sad programmes on TV, um, afterwards we feel much more. Um, uh, socially interested and we're bonded with other people and, and and that's kind of what it felt like at this funeral as well we all not all hugging together but you know sort of it was a really nice feeling but there's apparently another um, effect that comes from watching sad movies which is that your pain threshold goes up much higher so you can withstand significantly more pain as a result wow um which which was pretty amazing actually so i don't know whether that was a good or a bad thing does this
0: mean that we could get
1: like people watching up on the nhs well (laughs) i know i mean wonderful potentially i mean there was a downside apparently a third of the people actually felt more pain afterwards so you'd want to figure out which group of people you've got whether you're the up or down regulated pain but,
3: but it did seem physical pain or not mental pain
1: No, but, uh, it, yes they, they tested physical pain physical um, pain yeah. but, but again yeah if maybe before childbirth for example you get women watching Beaches. sad movies and, <laughs> and that would be, it would be a less painful experience what but not Sophie's mean? choice because that would be not before childbirth no presumably you'd want to slightly choose which sad <laughs> yeah. movie yeah that's right
0: <laughs> or The Omen yeah. Well, Although yeah. yeah, well,
3: that's not so much sad and no,
0: that's terrifying. Right. Yeah, so is childbirth again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Honestly, i got a friend who just had, uh, they went for, like, we you know those sort of uh, birthing pills mm-hmm. and he said it was like a scene from Jaws. So I think it's traumatising <laughs> enough in its own right. A literal bloodbath, actually, if not the <laughs> So that's the stuff which is actually happening right now. Let's leap into the future. Each of our panel brought along some ideas, and then you're going to get the picture ones. Can we start again with you, Sue? What would you like to see in the next stage of human evolution?
1: I've just been to a meeting um, where the discussion was about uh, human uniqueness. And uh, there's a lot of talk about what makes humans special and so on. And, uh, um, and the contrast is with humans and um, other animals. Um, and, we and, and for those of us who work on this kind of thing, we're where um, we can ask people questions about who they are and what they are and what they remember and and all that sort of stuff. But but we have to design increasingly Baroque experiments to try and ask those questions of animals. Um, So what I'd really like to do is to be Dr. Doolittle. I'd like us to be able to talk to animals. Um, And in my own job, that would be really good fun, um, to actually ask the animals, my hummingbirds, what did they learn, what did they remember, for example. but, but more broadly, I think, you know, for welfare reasons, we could ask animals whether they like something or didn't like something. Um, and, yeah, I think it might just See, talking I, animals. Have,
3: I have two cats and, uh, and I would really not like anybody to hear some of the things that they have seen. <laughs> I haven't always been at my best in front of my cats. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> well, there, are, there are children in the audience. <laughs> just, you know, when, you've, uh, you, when you do ridiculous things and you think, oh, it's okay, the, the only person that saw me do that was the cat. Well, you know, or when start, I do my, like, naked dancing, the, dusting The
0: dance. fact that you lose the language of the only person that saw me was the cat, that you're calling yeah. them people.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, well, they do think of that. They are members of the family. Do they have names? But they're just very nice. Yes, they do. What are they called? They're called Abercrombie and Fitch.
0: Because, <laughs> like, surely that's the first thing we disturb by this, is that because you discover that they're not called what you thought they were. <laughs> like, I've always thought most dogs would be called woof. like, it's about to happen, isn't it? <laughs> Why do, well, actually, like, from, okay, I can understand the welfare part of this, like, in terms of, that sounds great, so we could treat animals better. Um, is it Nietzsche, or was it a philosopher who said that if we could talk to a lion, we still wouldn't understand it? like the experiences of creatures, like humans are even so far removed that we have had to develop language and even that is never enough. Can we ever actually understand an animal?
1: Well, that's a good point. That I mean, indeed, I, I don't think we understand each, ourselves or other people particularly well, it's true. Um, I guess just for me, I really would like to know what it was like to be an animal. It's probably pretty hard, actually, mostly being hungry and... and uh, trying not to be eaten and all those sorts of things. So it's probably a pretty sad story. Um, and maybe that would mean my tolerance to pain would go up. And uh, I'd, you know, <laughs> I'd get some benefit out of it. Yeah. Um, that's a very But, uh, but you know, g- worms. Have you never thought, like, what it's just before you, in the garden, cut the worm in half, what it was like to have been a worm? Do you um, want to find out whenever that's the case? Uh, well, I might garden more carefully. Um... Isn't, there's a short story, isn't there?
0: Oh, man! Where's Google when I did it? Like uh, um, where a person can hear all the animals, and uh, I think he even hears all the plants. And he's walking in the grass, and he goes mad because he always hears the grass screaming. Anybody know who that's by? It's Rule Dahl. Dahl. It is Rule Doll. Can we get a microphone to that lady, please?
5: <laughs> yes. Oh gosh. So. Yeah, he, somebody develops a, a recording machine where they can record um, the screaming of trees when you rip off a leaf or something.
0: The screaming and of tre- that's a Captain Beefheart album right there, isn't it? The screaming <laughs> of
5: trees. <laughs> um, yeah, it's also a real dust. Sorry. So, yeah.
0: So um, it was a trees much,
5: And then they, they can hear the pain of trees and they go mad.
0: Well, you see, this is the point. Is that this is more or less what you're saying, Sue? Is that probably, if we look at what nature is, it's mostly eat, sleep, kill, mate, repeats, those kind of things. So, if I think of the what I hear most of the time, the the, the dominant sound of nature that I'm sure people, particularly around here, experience, is seagulls, right? Mm. If you actually understood what they said and it was like finding Nemo when they were just screaming, mind, 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 would it get annoying? Or even more so, if it's just, you know, more or less. Lots of different birds singing. I'm horny over and over and over again, <laughs> which is what the purpose of bird song is. Would you actually want to hear your hummingbirds?
1: Well, well, I think so. Yes, I do. I am interested in what they what they have to say, and and you know, what do they? I think,
3: it's, it's, I think it goes back to our arrogance that you know they would have anything to say to us. Do you know, like they would maybe just be like, "Well, I know my cat wouldn't speak to me." Okay, no, I know so Fitch, cat, Fitch would it? just, you know, I would ask her something and it would be like having a 14 year old child or she would just go mm. <laughs> and, and, and wander out. But, uh, but I think it would be quite interesting if we could do, it, um, because you were mentioning Disney films there, just to have the animals critique the Disney film version <laughs> of them, <Just> being <laughs> like, I would never say that. That would never happen. <laughs> do, you, do you think the potential there is, though, uh, for
4: this to backfire? So, like, it would increase our indifference to animals. So for us to still be able to eat them and wear them, we would just have to become even more callous and
1: ignoring them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I think we're pretty callous already. I mean, we, <laughs> we, we wage war on other people. We, we can talk to them quite well, but we happen not to. We shoot at them instead. So. So. But some people, some
0: people would argue that actually all wars are communication problems. Um, so perhaps one of these days your cat is going to say something rude about that outfit that you're wearing, uh, and then that's it gone. Like she, does that I mean, she does that with her
3: eyes. I mean, she doesn't. She doesn't need to speak. But I would find that really difficult because I, I am, I love seafood. See, that's like. I'm a big foodie and I love seafood. And I already find it difficult when they, when you get the lobster and you choose your lobster and then they carry it away. If the lobster was like, no, why me? <laughs> <laughs> I would, I'd have to give up seafood and I really like seafood.
0: As a kid, I always used to think that with all that happening in restaurants where people choose their lobster, that's a selective pressure, right? So just like in evolution, there's going to evolve to be one really disgusting, ugly species of lobster, (laughs) because it's never been picked. It's small, it's measly portions, it's hideous, it's warty, it's got wonky eyes, and that'll be the natural outcome of that. Um, Is this on, actually, before we move on, what would you like to ask an animal, if you had a chance?
1: Well, I think I would I will start with something like a worm and ask what it's like to be a worm. And perhaps the answer is going to be not much different from being a human.
6: Mm.
0: Probably is it's a worm (laughs)
1: like Well yeah, but it might have you know, loves and passions and memories.
0: I think I'd... Because I don't want to hear about that from most humans, actually. Never mind <laughs> So, so
1: would, Ron,
3: is I this on the,
0: uh, on the shortlist? Dr. Doolittle, what are your ideas for? Yeah,
3: I, uh, yeah well, I, I think I will put it on the shortlist because I would like to ask my cat. One of my <laughs> cats uh, just con- constantly looks at one point in the room where there is nothing. <laughs> and I swear she waits until it's really dark and you've just watched Carrie or something, and, she, and then she just sits up and goes... I want to ask her, what are you looking at? Maybe I don't want to hear the answer. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm going to put that in.
0: (laughs) Perfect. All right, Sue. Erin, you're up next. Can you beat this? What's your suggestion?
4: I can. Sticky fingers for babies. Now, I know you're already thinking they have sticky fingers, but this is different. Uh, So life is hard for an infant. They have enormous heads, super fat, super heavy, and it's hard for them to lift them. And for that reason, as researchers, we're kind of uh, limited in how we can understand how infants understand, perceive, and act with the world. And parents are, are similar, you know, it's hard to get into the mind of your infant So what I'm proposing is babies born with sticky fingers, kind of like geckos. And what this would enable an infant to do is to grasp objects from a much earlier age and interact with them. And then maybe it might even help scaffold their ability to locomote so they can press up on things and have greater stability. And that, in turn would lead to a cascading effect of other developments, so better attention because you're getting more stimuli into your system. You'd have to become better at regulating it. Uh, You might even develop moral concepts earlier because when you're able to manipulate objects, you have ownership over them and you start having concepts that are a little bit more complex. So I'm thinking sticky fingers for babies. How sticky are these fingers? Are they like Spider-Man babies? Spider Man babies, no, because they're not shooting webs. So it's more like a gecko has the, the micro hairs on their, on their fingers. But are they
3: able to crawl up and hang upside down on the roof, is what I mean.
4: Oh, yeah, but you are too, so you can go after them.
0: That's a very important caveat. Because the funny thing is, we mm-hmm. have had sticky fingers before, but people are looking for it just to be able to climb. Nobody's gone at it from this angle of helping us to developmentally learn. Oh, yeah. So. What, do, you, do you actually think that the ability to handle is the one thing which is keeping kids back?
4: I don 't think it's the one thing, but I think it severely limits us. Um, infants are very haptic creatures that's why you always see them sticking things in their mouth. they learn through touch, and so their inability to actually grasp things and interact with them is is really hindering a lot of how they're learning. so I, th- I think you can provide them with a much richer sensory environment that could lead to really great conceptual change. I mean, think about how limited we are in our experience of um, just walking on this particular plane, if you could crawl on a wall and literally see the world from someone else's perspective or different angles, how could that scaffold your understanding of geometry and physics? I think it's unlimited.
0: Okay, I'm going to ask this a bit more because this is really cool as a, mm. as a, as a concept that some people, because you're right, we're we we're stuck on a 2D plane because we, we more or less walk around in the ground of the time. A lot of my friends do scuba diving. They argue Mm. that that's the best bit about it, is it helps them visualize the world in a 3D manner, because they're Mm. able to interact with it in a 3D manner. So why don't you send kids scuba diving for their first kindergarten instead? Although they might rock actually.
4: (laughs) I think if I was going to go that route, I would just remove the scuba apparatus and I would add a blowhole to the mix, so I'd do a two for one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: My uh, kid's got a cold right now, and if he had a snotty blowhole as well, actually, <laughs> that would not make me happy.
1: What do you reckon, Sue? Would you be up for kids having sticky fingers? Well, I'm not. What's, what's the good thing about uh, speeding up development? I don't think it's. Apart from a parent, might want on occasion to speed up particular bits of development, but do so we say they grew up so quick
6: if we <laughs> didn't have those sticky fingers? <laughs>
4: well, part of it is speeding up development, but I think I think the more important point is is giving a, a richer uh, sensory environment and helping develop a broader conceptual um, repertoire, and and so you know yeah.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: There may not be a particular utility in having babies uh, have, you know, a year advantage on these sorts of things. That's true. Although I would argue maybe the sooner you enter into these social relationships or understanding of physics and stuff that in turn leads to, to more complex ways that you can interact with the environment. But I, I think it's just about enrichment. It's not necessarily about the trajectory in, in time. It's it's the enrichment argument that I think is more important here.
3: My I, Currently my life is surrounded with lots of babies. And um, I, I don't know if I would want them Like think of how all the things they would get their sticky fingers on that currently they don't get their sticky fingers on. (laughs) And particularly my friend is toilet training her two year, er, or one year old at the moment. Yeah, I don't think I would want him to have sticky fingers as well as (laughs) some of the issues that she is having. Um, They
0: are pretty sticky at the best of times (laughs) actually. But I see what you mean, to this be able is a haptic
3: thing. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, to, I, I think it's an interesting idea. Yeah, but really think about in. how if, if they're able to interact
4: with uh, objects earlier like that, you're, you're able to teach them sooner uh, you know, why that's dangerous. And, and that is some information they can generalize and, and, and apply to other things. Um, so yeah, object exploration is where it's at. Okay,
0: I, I get you here. So there's definitely, they will develop quicker, but let's imagine at the start, you send them off to nursery, and then at the end of the day, because they've been playing together, you just have this big ball of toddler <laughs> where they've all you know, played patty yeah. Keck, they're holding on to each other. <laughs> How do we get them apart as well? Like, do all children have to come with crowbars from
6: now on?
4: Oh, goodness. Um. That's an excellent question. I think we'll have to find some way to demagnetize them because that's essentially what's going on with a gecko. So um, you can demagnetize using uh, water vapor. That's the best way to get rid of uh, van der Waals <laughs> forces. So um, this is either you can spray them, you can travel around with a humidifier, and this is not an endorsement for vaping, but you could vape on your child. <laughs> <laughs> this is sounding better now.
3: <laughs>
0: Thank you. All right, cool. No, Aaron, is that it then? <coughs> yeah i
3: put it in for just now,
0: yeah. Okay, we'll come back to these ones. Audience, it's going to be hard on you. These two ideas are going forward. You can do better. Come on. Hands up. Who's first?
2: Hi, my name's Lauren. And just a quick comment before my idea about babies with sticky fingers. I just have this idea of putting a baby in a playpen, and it'll be able to escape. So now we're going to have to put our babies in cages. and. <laughs> That I sound like I don't have kids, so yeah. Anyways, um, so... Parents in the
0: audience, anybody have a problem with that? Cages? <laughs> no? Okay.
2: Uh, so I think it would be really useful, and personally I just want to really be able to uh, breathe fire. But not all the time, just you know, controlled. Just when I want to.
0: Well, you said really useful there. Come on. Um. <laughs> Tell well, us more. Why is that
2: Haven't this you ever wanted to cook something or start a fire and you didn't have matches or a lighter? It just it seems pretty obvious. You can just breathe fire.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> so, <laughs> why a lot of this? I, no, so it's controlled. Like it's not every breathe. time
3: you exhale. I would that like to flames. breathe fire, but for a very different reason. Why? <laughs> well, you, sometimes uh, as a comic, you have to deal with hecklers. I think there would be a lot less people <laughs> heckling if I could, you know, set uh, the front row on fire.
0: No, see, here's here's the real though. This is not. We have no superpowers in this podcast. This will be something for everybody, mm. so they can retaliate just mm. as much. Remember,
2: I would breathe fire into students, maybe, but heckler. <laughs> students, okay, other
0: than um, the murder,
2: you like, <laughs> no, just ridiculous. to you know assert authority, not to like harm them.
0: Because I'm sure, with I'm sure, actually, with tech, that this is the kind of thing probably is possible. Like we can pretty much put flamethrowers on anything now. Um,
4: Well, I'm thinking there's an additional benefit to this. So one way you could breathe fire is if you have some sort of combustible liquid. And as it passes through your mouth, it passes like a piezoelectric crystal or something that ignites it. Or you could have two chemicals that are combustible when they come into contact with each other. And I'm thinking it would be nice to be huffing those fumes all day. I mean, you would have (laughs) some additional help there. So...
0: There is, a, there is actually a proof of process here in nature. There's a thing called the bombardier beetle, which more or less does that. It's it's so it's not breathing fire as such, but it's a, a boiling hot liquid will shoot from its its I, rear. I end. just
2: want to be able to start a fire. <laughs> like, it's it's that simple. So. Okay, Lauren.
6: <laughs>
0: mind that lighters exist. Answer uh, that, Lauren. Jay, is this on the short list?
3: Uh, no, I'm not going to put that on the short list. Just, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, Lauren. Sorry, Give her a big Lauren. round of
0: applause. <laughs> and I think it's the lady in the front row next. Can you tell us your name, please?
6: Roslyn. Uh, my idea, um, I was... Uh, uh, there's been a few times this came up between my friends and I and there was, there's been a few things in the news as well and I think it'd be really handy to have an on-off switch for fertility. Instead an of light like, switch for t- fertility. Yeah, instead of like you know, pills or accessories or whatever. You just have a little button. This is a great with a, idea, little, so- with <laughs> a little a little light so you know which way it's it's just like a switch. <laughs> and a little light, like it's like green or red.
0: Oh, okay, and actually, you can, just can I ask, her, you said a great little light. You're basically talking about a traffic party there.
6: <laughs> <laughs> you, if it goes only, on orange, you need to see a doctor, you know, that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> so, on. Well, is this light visible to others or just to yourself? I'd I think you'd, you'd,
6: probably, you'd have it in sort of probably, like, like, maybe, like, on your side or something. So you could still reach it, and you could see your light, and your partner could see your light. So, you know, if you both had different coloured lights, you You might have to have a discussion if it's a long-term relationship, but then you could just turn it off and on. It, okay, I'm
0: so great Wait, We're going to have to stop you there, Rosalyn, because basically, as soon as you said that Aaron started vibrating yeah. on the <laughs> stage... This,
4: so. this exists! This exists for men. Um, so, um,
0: Without a kick somewhere. Come on.
4: <laughs> I'm not sure how... Um, so, so essentially, someone has developed a device that can be implanted um, into the testicles, and you can switch your balls on and off. <laughs> and... Um, it, it's not that much more painful um, than inserting an IUD. So for women who have had one of those, it's not a walk in the park, but it's doable without general anesthesia. Um, and apparently men found the uh, experience to be far, far too invasive. So the ability to, <laughs> to flick your reproductive organs on and off was just too inconvenient because they would hurt for about 10 seconds.
3: Um, but I just think that's tremendous. I, it amazes me that men have turned down the opportunity to play with their balls.
4: Me too. (laughs) I'm shocked by this. It goes against everything I know about nature.
0: (laughs) So okay, hold on. Tell me, you said this already exists. Yes. Is there a female equivalent as well? Because what we're talking about here, Rosalind's idea is that everybody has got the ability to decide (coughs) and go either direction.
4: So aside from birth control pills, I don't know of any devices like this. I've heard recently that someone has developed an artificial ovary Um, So potentially, if you were infertile, you could implant one, and then I don't know if you would have finer grain control over how that would work.
0: You see, I've got a good way of controlling my fertility, which is looking like this. (laughs) So um, until I find a mercifully short-sighted, lovely lady to pity on me, um, I wasn't having any kids. It seemed to work. Like I'm not arguing for the preaching abstinence idea, but with the technology we have, do we have this covered? Rosalind wants more. What do you think, Jay? Is this on the short list? Uh, yeah, let's put this on the shortlist. Okay, flick a switch, fertility. Give rolls the big round of applause. What's your name and what's your idea?
3: I'm Nora. Um, the inability to lie.
0: The inability to no. lie.
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> No, you have just literally done me out of a job. So, no, I don't need to hear any more about this in case somebody wants to do it.
0: Before we move on, because I'm sorry, that's an unequivocal no from Jay. Nora, have you been lied to?
3: <laughs> I mean, everybody's been lied to. And I have had like some traumatic lying in the past that is, that has had this. But you have so many species that... Granted, they can still lie to each other in certain ways, but you don't have the same type of falsehoods necessarily that we do. And it would be interesting to exist in a world where you couldn't tell such blatant lies that people do nowadays. And I would wonder if it would then change our entire society and the way that we function with each other if you couldn't lie and you couldn't basically get people to do stuff the same way that we do now and just lie to people. I mean, how would that change society, would it? This or is interesting. Not?
0: Okay, well, I'd like to ask a psychologist this, because you're raising a very interesting question. Was I know that in, say, primate research, primate like looking at monkeys and apes and things, it's one of the best ways that we find intelligence is looking for the capacity to lie. Is lying good for us? I don't
4: want to know how fat my butt looks in these jeans, guys. <laughs> yeah, I think it's adaptive. Um, politeness lies are things that enable us to get along. and. Um, I think there's a certain utility in that. I mean, malignant, malicious lies obviously are, are, are harmful, but, but there are some kinds of deception that I think are are good. And, and also humor is based on deception. You know, you think you're headed down one path and then you jump tracks. So that's, that's a kind of deception. And I wouldn't want to live
1: in a world where we can't laugh.
0: How would you feel, Sue, if you find out the animals you're talking to are lying to you?
1: Well, I kind of <laughs> expect they will yeah. because cheating, Lying is is found throughout the animal kingdom, um, from cheating with the colour pattern that you have on your back in a in a um, bait and mimic butterfly, for example, pretending to be nasty when it's not, hmm. um, and you know uh, people I know work on birds that vocalise where they they pretend that there's a predator around. And everybody else leaves, and they get the food. Wow! It's, it's, it's Yeah, it's all out there. You yeah. name the How animal, excru- there. You name the species, there will be some lying going on.
3: How excruciating would a first date be if you couldn't lie? <laughs> I mean, I don't mean big, huge lies, but you're not one to tell your first date all of the all of the true things about you. You want to keep a bit of the
1: mystique and the
3: desire there.
1: <laughs> yes, but you also don't have to tell them
3: everything. You just yeah, say but if nothing. if they ask, then you can't lie. That's true. That's the problem. You can't so lie, but you don't necessarily have to tell them anything. And but if they lie. ask,
0: yeah, so then... So you sit in silence. You just sit in silence. You're You're gonna gonna so, that, <laughs> so
3: then back to first dates being
0: rubbish. <laughs> the thing is, I've been on that date. <laughs> um, so hold on, that's just not on the short list. I'm really no. sorry, Nora. Give her a big round of applause.
6: Thank you very much.
0: Please, what's your name and what's your idea?
6: Um, my name's Emily. Hello, Emily. And my idea is if you could like, when you go to sleep, plug something in or something so you could like download your dreams and play them back.
0: So a dream catcher without the hippie connotations.
6: <laughs> yeah. What do you reckon, guys? That's an
3: amazing idea. I like that idea because, um, so my husband hates me telling him my dreams. He says, it's really boring. Uh, ju- just the ones I have at night, not like my hopes. <laughs> 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 He's quite supportive of them. <laughs> 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 but he, but if, I, if I could just, you know, show him a little video of my dreams, that would be great.
0: I wonder about this, because you're saying about downloading them, playing them again. Can you actually sort of see dreams? Because like, one of the hardest things about dreams is they don't seem to have a firmness of concept. Like I can walk into my house, which is also my school, and meet my wife, which is also my mother, which tells me more about myself than I want to know.
5: <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: That's the kind of thing that can happen in dream. There's a much more looseness of concept. Like it's, it's actually, again, with your psychology background, does anybody know why this is? Why are dreams less firm? Can we ever actually explain a dream to each other?
4: I honestly don't know. I think consciousness is hugely mysterious and above my pay grade at this point in time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way of viewing it. I I like this as an idea. Yeah, I like it. I'm going to give you a little bit of hope here, Emily, because the closest thing to this that already exists, I wish I could remember their name, I think they're called narconauts or something. Uh, they're people who frequently have lucid dreams. And lucid dreams are dreams where you can control what happens and they're therefore amazing because you do all the bad stuff and it's great. I used to have a lot of them when I was your age and I don't have as many now, but I've got a friend who's a professional lucid dreamer because they do research on them. Um, yeah, but they're now creating devices which will tell you when you're asleep so you will realize that you're dreaming and then you can take action. So bearing in mind that you don't remember most of your dreams but we remember most of our lucid dreams are you happy with that? I don't mean like just go and eat some cheese before you go to bed. I mean, you've got to go and, it's like it flicks a couple of, it's like an eye mask, which flicks a couple of lights into your eyes, think whenever I've, you.
6: I think I've heard of something like, like that, or something.
0: Are you sure you didn't dream it? No. How do you know you're here right now?
6: I don't
0: know. Neither do we. It's your dream. Give Emily a big round of applause. And for our final one, uh, please miss, what's your idea?
5: Uh, so my name is Georgina and my idea is kind of on the sleep theme, um, that you'd have a kind of internal clock so that, you know, the night before you've got some big meeting or something, instead of just sitting there wishing that you'd get to sleep, you just click a switch and then you go to sleep. And in the morning, you know, you've got to wake up at 7am, instead of like the groggy snooze and then snooze again, you're just like, you wake up, bam, 7am, you're ready to go. We're all about flicking switches in this audience. (laughs) They are, but
1: that one I would like, actually, Mm. having just been at a meeting, got a bit stressed and didn't sleep the whole night. Yeah, that's... People are working on this. That's an academic one, that one.
0: People are working on this, aren't they? Because I know that, say... uh, I bought someone as in the States because you can buy it there and you can't buy it here. Melatonin. Oh yeah. So melatonin. uh, I know personal experience when I tried taking it made me feel like my skin was crawling so it didn't work for me but that was a way of trying to induce sleep to get rid of jet
5: lag and stuff. Anybody know anything about this? Audience included?
0: You're smart people.
5: I actually do know a bit about that. Um, Tell us. They've got something in Germany called crystal milk where they use (laughs) cows. It's really weird. Crystal uh, crystal milk. It's cows that have been fed at midnight so that their melatonin is kind of in their system ready to put them to sleep. And then they milk them and then they give it to you. And it's supposed to make you go to sleep. Is it? Does it work? I have no idea.
0: And how is crystal milk not the milk of, like, unicorns instead of... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you milk a My Little crystal Pony... Milk. It's a very bad what? stripper name. Crystal milk. <laughs> Oh, actually, just be a nice lolly is basically crystal milk, isn't it? Surely, you know, mini milks. <laughs> how am I alone in knowing what I'm talking about here? It's <laughs> just yeah, ice crystals, isn't it? Well, yeah, we're right; the rest of you are wrong. <laughs> Thank right, you. So on, there's Georgina's idea
5: of uh, how do we phrase this? A, a sleep switch, or well, like an alarm? Well, yeah, no sleep switch. Let's go with that. How
0: do you switch yourself on again, actually? That'd be the bother. Mm-hmm.
5: so I was thinking that it's not as in it doesn't like send you into a deep deep sleep it just sends you to normal sleep, and then so if you hear something in the night, then you'll wake up and be like, "Oh, never mind," and then just turn it on again, go back to sleep.
1: do not you think you'd have to it would be better if you programmed it so you could yeah, it was like when a timer. when you you're like, "I'm going to sleep at midnight and I'm going to wake up at seven, so you could program it, so it wasn't a switch really it was it's more an internal program.
3: alarm
0: yeah. Is this gonna just lead, because I've got a friend who's a sleep researcher who's who's pitched things in the show about sleep elsewhere, and he thinks actually we've got a big, big problem because we don't respect sleep enough because we want these instant fixes and we don't do things like avoid our iPhones. He'd claim that you can get everything you want by good sleep hygiene is the word he uses. Would you be happy just to, you know, make a bit of an effort?
5: I guess I'm thinking about the situations where you really need to get to sleep and you just can't, and also just the horrible feeling in the morning when you just don't feel good enough to Yeah. Yeah, yeah and you just wouldn't have that feeling. You'd just be like ready to go and just hop out of bed instead of just, like, waking up, rolling over and, like, checking your phone for 15 minutes But I think that's
3: it, because the reason that you usually can't get to sleep is because of anxiety. Mm. It's an anxiousness about what's to come, and I think that if you flick to switch, that anxiousness and anxiety would still be there and it would manifest itself in a different way.
0: And if you could record your dreams, they'd be awful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, hold on, is this in the list or not? No, I'm I'm going no for that one. Sorry, give her a round of applause anyway. (laughs) Well, finally, we've got a suggestion from Mother Nature herself. This is what we call Splice of Life. What would you like to steal from this creature on the left? Does so anyone know what that is?
4: A narwhal
0: Narwhals. Now, I was in, uh, working in Greenland a little while ago, and I got to taste some narwhal. It was disgusting, I had to tell you. It was the skin, because we were offered it by some local Greenlandic peoples there. Because the skin of narwhals has got as much vitamin C in it as oranges. Narwhals and pretty much everything other than humans, pr- other primates, a couple of fruit bats, and I think a guinea pig can make their own vitamin C. Yeah. So, why not go and get that ability again? No more scurvy, no more anything like
3: that. Yeah. Is scurvy what, what? a big problem these days?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point.
3: <laughs> <laughs> You're you hanging out with a lot of pirates.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what? Like, uh, it was the um, whole thing. The potato was the thing which stopped scurvy. Through most of the Western world, I believe. There's just mm-hmm. enough vitamin C in it. That stopped us getting those diseases. But we could always still use a bit more vitamin C, surely.
3: Yeah. I, I like the the spiky spiky bits. I don't know what they are. Isn't Tusks. that a tooth? Yeah, it's no. a tooth. Oh, is it's a a tooth? Tusk. Mm.
0: Yeah, but that's not um well yeah, but like mm. that's pretty if you are, if you, if instead of this, instead of getting useful vitamin C, you want a, a seven-foot tusk <laughs> coming <laughs> of no, your no, face? No, but, no, but
4: presumably the tusk has some vitamin C, so you just lick it, and then it's a
0: magic wand. It's this multi-purpose. We need more magic wands in science. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know what? They look if it like sea unicorns. They are. This is what people hmm. thought were unicorns. Oh. I can't believe you ate a bit of it. Yeah, we, it, was, it was polite to. We couldn't say no. And it was did they kill it or did they scrape a bit off? No, no, they'd, they'd killed them. They were allowed to. Like it's uh, it was Not scientific narwhaling. No, not even scientific. <laughs> it was just that the people there were allowed to because it's their traditional thing. So it was, we were in the place. We only had a tiny amount. It's because you probably noticed in Greenland there's not many like broccoli growing. Well, <laughs> no, this is the whole point. Is without narwhal, there would be no people living in Siberia, in Greenland, in. That was the reason why humans were able to expand to these places.
1: Because they could kill animals.
0: Because you could get vitamins from animals if you if you eat the right potato. They parts should have taken right cabbages way. with them. Cabbages in <laughs> yeah. in the Arctic. What? <laughs> well I know they're called iceberg lettuces, but it's can, not exactly how it works. If you can
1: grow potato use potatoes to We'll grow potatoes on mars then surely you can take cabbages to green you
0: them. can't grow potatoes on mars that wasn't a
1: documentary
6: <laughs>
0: mark damon has not solved all mankind's ills look i think i'm losing here i'm just partly because the narwhal has just got a beautiful face and it's okay it's yeah, a unicorn yeah.
3: it's a sea unicorn i'll keep it in because it's a sea
0: unicorn with magic vitamin with c magic vitamin c <laughs> you lot are hard to impress okay <laughs> So, the narwhale and its tusks. So, okay, Jay, you've got quite a lot to choose yeah, from here. Yeah, gosh. Do you want uh, Sue's idea of doctor doolittling? You know, being able to speak to all the animals. Do you want Erin and her sticky fingers for kids? Not just because they've got jam on, but so they can feel things. Rosalind's fertility switch. Uh, then with Emily's idea of being able to download dreams, perhaps? Or... Uh, yeah, you've more or less rejected the narwhal, that's it. Ah. So dreams, doolittling, sticky fingers, or fertility switches.
3: Ah, oh, they're all great ideas.
0: Don't patronise them. Come
3: no, on. they are great <laughs> ideas. I like. Uh, there's some things of the talking to the animals that I am um, really up for, but then other parts of it that would just terrify me. Uh, the sticky finger children. Oh, I don't know. I just I can't get the idea of just. Spiderman children crawling all <laughs> over the place and, and children that were smarter than me, which is most of them, anyway, without their sticky fingers. Uh, but I, I really like Emily's idea. I really like the, the dream idea. So I think I'm gonna go for Emily's downloading dream idea. But if I could bring two together, it would be quite good to download animal dreams. <laughs> 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 download the animal really? dreams. Yeah. Just see what the animals are dreaming about. So we do know a
1: little bit about that. What are all Zebra Finches sing, uh, dream their songs. Whoa. Whoa. That? Dream their so- See? Awesome. How, how do we know that? Because people have recorded them and they even do the bill movements that they would. So they're sleeping on their perches and they even do little bill movements when they're... They yeah.
3: sleep sing. Yeah. Sleep. That's adorable.
1: That's way wow. better than snoring. Yeah, not
0: just hey.
3: Sleep <laughs> singing. So yeah, I think Emily, uh, yeah, Emily's idea is, de- is definitely in there, but I would also like the opportunity to bring the two ideas together.
0: So, ladies and gents, you heard it here. We're going to go for downloading dreams and downloading animals' dreams. Uh, we're going to take that idea and add it to our genes, like evolutionary sprinkles to the Mr. Whippy of our species. Before we go, though, I'd like you to give a huge round of applause to. We've had Aaron. We've had Sue. We've had Jay. We've had a wonderful audience here at Explorathon as part of uh, European Researchers' Night at the Bar Theatre in St. Andrews. And uh, I've been Simon Watt, your host. This has been Level Up Human. Thank you and good night. Mm. That was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheeley and supported by the Wellcome Trust. This episode was created with the help of St. Andrew's University and Explorathon, the European Researcher's Night. For more information, go to leveluphuman.com.
2: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.